This is Inside Berkeley. I'm Kim Ashton. Today on Inside Berkeley, we talk to Rhoda Bernard, the Managing Director of the Berkeley Institute for Arts, Education, and Special Needs, which launched this month and builds on the 10-year success of the Autism Spectrum programs at Boston Conservatory. The new Institute's mission is threefold, to offer arts education programming that focuses on the inclusion of people with special needs, to provide professional development for those who work with these populations, and to train the next generation of teachers and advocates through graduate programs. Bernard says that people with autism and other disabilities face many challenges, but when they come to the Institute's programs, they are celebrated for their love of arts and their artistic accomplishments. It's a pursuit she plans to expand over the coming years. Rhoda Bernard, welcome to Inside Berkeley. Thank you. It's great to be here. Now, as I mentioned in the intro, um, this program has been going on for quite a while at Boston Conservatory. It started in 2007. And what was the idea behind the creation of this program? Well, there were a few different ideas behind the creation of the program. Uh, Music teachers um, get very little training and very poor support, generally, in terms of working with special needs populations, yet they are required to work with all students in the school, often with very little assistance. This is a well-established fact in the research and in the field, and when I've seen opportunities over the last 13 years to get my students more um, training and experience with this population, I've jumped at it. So we started really hoping that our students would get more training and more exposure and more experience. We also started this training knowing that this was a real need, that individuals with autism often gravitate towards music. And sometimes music can be a very powerful part of their lives. At the same time, they are often denied opportunities to study music and learn to perform music at a high level. They might have therapeutic interactions with music, but the opportunity to build their musical skills and to be stronger musicians, they don't have. So we started first a private lessons program um, and then built several other programs to provide opportunities for people with autism to engage with music and to develop their skills. And then how do the programs expand over the years at the conservatory? So um, when I brought the initial idea for the very first program that we launched, which was our private instrument lessons program, to folks at the conservatory, there was an incredible amount of support for the idea and the work. And they said, yes, you should do this, but we don't have any money for you. So I launched the programs on a completely tuition-driven model. Immediately, I started working with our development office to raise money for scholarships for the programs so that more families could participate. We then started seeing other grant opportunities to build additional programming beyond the private lessons. So we were doing the private lessons, and those lessons start with students age 9 and go to to adulthood. And I was getting phone calls from families with children who were three, four, and five, and I had nothing to offer them. So we applied for funding for an early childhood music program, and that's where our music class for young children was born. Um, And we were very fortunate to receive funding from the National Endowment for the Arts for that program's beginning. And then other ideas kept coming. The private lessons program has a recital. And at the recital, it was single performances, one after to the other, maybe one or two duets, but it was all individuals. Fabulous music, wonderful experience, but I wanted a group music-making experience. So a choral ensemble seemed the easiest way to get that going from a logistical standpoint, and we got some funding and ran with it. 
I was at a conference a few years back, and I learned about what iPads can do for individuals with autism who want to make music compose music, perform music, but don't want to deal with the fine motor skills and some of the technical skills of an instrument. That got me really jazzed to pilot and then seek funding, which we now have, for an iPad ensemble. So it's been growing as I've become aware of the need for more opportunities. And we have other new programs in the works as well. In a, so those are the programs that we offer for people with autism. We also have gotten um, a lot of development of our professional development programs. When we started our private lessons program, we instituted a, a strong training program to go with it. Three full days of training for the folks and then ongoing support with observations and feedback on their teaching. Well, some local public school teachers got wind of our training and started coming. And I said, sure, join us. So then it became clear to me that there was a need for this. Um, and we applied for some funding to take the greatest hits of this training, turn it into a one-day workshop, and take it on the road for a year, which we did. We went to five groups of public school districts and five groups of colleges and universities all around Massachusetts for day-long trainings. These were extremely enthusiastically received. So then I went to my de then dean, Patricia Hoy, and said, we need a new graduate program. Other schools that have colleges of education have a certificate in autism. It doesn't license you to do anything, but it's a group of related courses. And I said, I want to have that, and I want to have a master's in music education with um, a concentration in music and autism. So we got a committee together and started those programs that are now in their third year. So as we've seen um, how the field is growing, we've had the impetus and thankfully some great support to make things grow. So was this the first academic program on a graduate level to address the needs of people with autism? In music education, In music. Mm -hmm. yes. The first and still the only. And um, could you, do you have a story of how this has affected students who, who take these classes? How have they tr been transformed through these classes? And what's the benefit of doing a group ensemble as opposed to the individual ensembles that you were doing? So lots of wonderful stories. Um, for example, we have many transformations practically on a weekly basis. So our programs take place on Saturdays, um, and we have weekly transformations with our little children. We have little children who speak their first words in our classes, who match pitch for the first time in our classes, who go home and sing songs when they never sang before, and they sing the songs they learned in our classes. So we see transformations with the little ones every week. A fabulous transformation story that I love to tell just happened recently. This past fall, we had a brand new student in our early childhood class, and she was very anxious coming to a new place, um, to a new environment, to do something she'd never done before. So the first week, her, her mom drove her here, but she wouldn't get out of the car. And at the end of class, um, the teacher went down and greeted her and her mom, and they chatted for a few minutes. And the teacher said, how about next week we get outside of the car and we go to the front door? And she was a little nervous, but the next week, my, my graduate student, who's her instructor, came downstairs, met them at the car, and yes, they got her to the front door. 
Two weeks later, they got her all the way up the stairs and into the classroom. And now she's one of the most enthusiastic participants in the whole class. And her parents stuck with her and her teacher stuck with her and she's been transformed. So that's one example. Um, We have a fabulous student who started with us when she was in middle school and stayed with us until she graduated high school. Her name is Gianna Hitzos. She is now, she just finished her junior year at Gordon College in Wenham, Massachusetts, majoring in vocal performance and also in French and minoring in theater. Uh, She credits this program with changing her life and giving her a pathway to inclusion and giving her an identity as a person. To hear these stories, and I have to tell you, I hear them often. It's some of the most moving experiences I've had professionally. You asked about the group experience versus the individual experience. I have to step back and say that when you talk about people with autism, you have to be very careful about generalizing. There's a wonderful saying in Autism Speaks. You've met one person with autism. You've met one person Mm -hmm. with autism. There's a lot of variation. Even the same diagnosis expresses very differently. So having given that caveat, it is often the case that people with autism have difficulty in social situations, difficulty with interpersonal relationships. And what we've seen in the private lessons are very close bonds between the students on the spectrum, whatever age they are, um, and their instructors. Um, What I was hoping for was to get some social interactions among the students in an ensemble setting. And it has been the case a lot because the instructors have taken it upon themselves to explicitly work on that. So in the Inner Harmony Chorus, which we're now calling the Inner Harmony Ensemble because we sometimes have instruments... uh, The students, aside from their rehearsal time, spend time every week on team building, on developing social skills. So, for example, one week they had a scavenger hunt, and they each had to find people in the room, someone who had broken a bone, someone who has a dog for a pet, someone who has got a passport. So that forces them, it gives them a structure which is helpful, but it requires them to speak to other people in the room, and they had folks to support them in that if they needed it, but it gets them talking to each other and then working better together as a group. That is really exciting to see. And many of the um, young students and even our adults have become friends through these ensemble opportunities, and that I think is really special. You know, and you were telling these stories about these transformations these students were making um, when they were connecting with others or maybe even connecting a little bit more with themselves. I thought a bit about music therapy, but you've said that this is very different than music therapy. Can you explain the difference between what you're doing and music therapy? Uh, Absolutely. Music therapy is a fantastic discipline, and it does wonderful things for people. Music therapists Um, And music educators have, it's sort of like a Venn diagram, and there's a lot of overlap. So the overlap is we're all enjoying music. It's making people's lives better. And we're making music and being involved with musical activities. The difference is sort of what you go in with as an intent. So in music therapy, the intent is that these musical experiences will lead to therapeutic outcomes of various sorts. So it might be a behavioral set of outcomes. It might have to do with gait and walking or something physical, um, emotional. There's those sorts of things. 
what we're looking at is music education. So we go in with the um, objective of developing musical skills and increasing musical knowledge. So we want them to become better musicians. Now, of course, both kinds of outcomes happen at the same time all the time. I mentioned before that we have students who say their first words in our early childhood classes. We celebrate that. That's a fantastic, amazing, transformational thing that's happened to that child. Did we go in there with that objective? No, but is it still wonderful? Absolutely. So that's why there's so much overlap, because music makes people better in so many ways at once. Um, but what we're really interested in when we go in is teaching musical knowledge and skills and developing students' musicianship, whether they make their lives in music as Gianna will, or whether they just want to play on their own time socially or enjoy it and go to concerts. We want music, and now we want the arts to be a bigger part of these people's lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I mentioned in the intro, you are moving um, this program from the conservatory to Berkeley, and it's going to be an institute yes. at, at the college, at Berkeley College of Music. How will the Berkeley Institute for Arts Education and Special Needs be different from the conservatory program? So the conservatory program was a set of programs, music programs, and music education programs for people with autism. Bringing it over to Berkeley in the context of an institute allows us to expand beyond music. So we are um, incorporating the step-by-step creative movement program that had been offered in external relations that's coming over. And we're going to expand into more dance, theater, eventually visual arts. So we're really looking at all of the arts, not just music. And we're also expanding beyond autism to other special needs populations. And we are right now exploring, I I don't want to give it all away, but we are exploring work with two additional special needs populations um, in the coming year. And as the years go on, there'll be more of them. So we're expanding beyond music to the other arts, beyond autism to other special needs. In addition, um, at the conservatory, Uh, Five years ago, we started a conference. It was called Teaching Music to Students on the Autism Spectrum, and we went from 50 folks our first year to 135 in 2017. Bringing that over to the Institute allows us to expand that work. We've rebranded it. It's called the ABLE Assembly, Arts Better the Lives of Everyone. It will be April 6th, 7th, and 8th on the Berkeley campus. We're going to have breakout sessions for the first time. We used a call for proposals for the first time. So we're really able to take this work and expand it and deepen it and offer it to a wider community. And you offered a graduate program, a couple of graduate programs at the conservatory. Those will now be offered through the college. Uh, And will you add an undergraduate component to this? The aim is yes. Um, This is going to take a bit of time. But what I would like to see are undergraduate courses in this area and a minor at the undergraduate level in this area. Um, And I have a lot of support. I've talked with um, the folks in the professional education division, in the music therapy department, and the music education department. And they're all very supportive of the idea. The tricky part is that we have to develop some brand new courses. And so that will take a little time. But yes, that's on the horizon. In addition to things like the iPad Ensemble and other cool projects, what are some of the partnerships and projects that you have planned for the upcoming year? We have some really cool things planned. So um, one thing that's really exciting for 2017-2018 is that Lori Landay from the 
liberal arts faculty, and I just received a FLY grant. And this is a faculty-led innovation grant from our faculty development um, department here at Berkeley. And that's going to allow us, uh, she and her students are going to be developing virtual reality tools that we're going to use in our Saturday programs. So for example, um, individuals on the autism spectrum, as I mentioned earlier, sometimes have trouble with new situations and things that are unknown and unexpected. So one of the new situations that a lot of our students face is we have a recital at the end of every year. It's wonderful. So we started with one concert for two hours. We got too big for one concert. Um, for a few years, we had two concerts. This year, we became too big for two concerts. We're going to have three concerts in 2018. Anyway, we have this recital, and the students are often anxious about the recital. We're going to have a virtual reality tool that we're going to co-develop so that they can experience what it's like to perform at a recital before they have to do it. Oh, cool. Like a simulator. Exactly. Um, and in the language of special education, that's called a social story when you sort of prepare people. This is a virtual reality social story. No one's doing anything like this. So we're really psyched for that particular partnership. In addition, we have some great projects going on with um, Music for Autism International, which is one of our big partners. They work on sustainable music programs for people with autism all around the world, and we are their teacher training partner. We help them out with a program in Canada. There's work being done in Asia that I keep saying, fly me there, but no, it's Skype, <laughs> which is fine. But we do teacher training over Skype for the teachers that are working with them. Uh, finally, one other really cool partnership project we have going on this year is with United Sound. United Sound is an organization based in Arizona that does high school and adult instrumental ensembles for people with special needs using peer mentoring. So three of our graduate students are going to be working with a group of adults in Watertown um, who have Asperger's who want to learn how to play band instruments. So they're going to be there every week. Well, it sounds like you have a lot planned for this upcoming year. Uh, what do you see in the long-term future of the Institute? Wow. It's a great question because if someone had asked me 10 years ago when we started our autism programs, our little private lessons program at Boston Conservatory, I would have no idea that I would be sitting here today in an institute at Berkeley um, with such a big, bright future ahead of us. So I can't wait to see what 10 years will bring. But uh, I would like to see undergraduate coursework and the undergraduate minor, as we talked about. Um, I would like to see the programs grow beyond our Saturday site. This year, we have more hours in the site than we have in the past. But I would like to see our time grow. I'd like to see us have satellite programs in other schools and other institutions where we can work with people away from campus as well as on campus. I'd like to see the um, graduate programs grow. We brought in our biggest class ever. It's our third year, and we brought in nine new students to join several continuing students. So we're establishing a real cohort on campus. I'd like to see that grow. I'd like to see our work throughout the campus become more visible um, and have projects that involve people from all over the school. Um, I'd also like to see Berkeley become a place where p musicians 
and dancers and actors, when we add Boston Conservatory at Berkeley, who have special needs, feel that this could be a safe place for them to come to school Mm -hmm. because we have these programs and that they feel supported becoming part of this community. Well, that's all good stuff. And it sounds like the Institute has a bright future ahead of it. Uh, Rhoda Bernard, thanks so much for joining us today on Inside Berkeley. Thank you so much for having me. For more information about the Berkeley Institute for Arts, Education, and Special Needs, visit berkeley.edu. This episode was engineered by student Brian Rajaratnam in partnership with The Burn. I'm Kim Ashton for Inside Berkeley.